0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is the fastest growing social media application for outdoor enthusiasts and it's designed by outdoor enthusiasts. If you want more information, visit Google Play Store and download the app or visit timetogowild.com. Let's get outside. It's time to go wild. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. 2018 flew by so fast that, man... I it's like it didn't even happen, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of big things that went down in 2018 that made it very special. But uh, I, I just cannot believe how fast time is flying. When you have a full-time job, you have another job, you have three kids, you have a wife, and other responsibilities outside of all those things, it gets it, it gets really really crazy, and it got really crazy this year. But with all that said. I am really looking forward to 2019, a lot of big things coming with the Sportsman's Nation, a lot of big things coming with Nine Finger Chronicles, and uh, just my life in general, and the life of my friends and family, and uh, I tell you what, I'm really excited for everything that's going down and about to go down. And as 2019, you know, progresses and we get into it a little bit more, I'll have some more details for you guys about the growth of the sportsman's nation. But just like we always do, we have a really kick-ass podcast today, and I'm joined by a legend. <laughs> I mean the dude, the dude straight up kills big deer every single year. And he does it in Michigan or he goes out west and gets the job done. He's, uh, he's really good at what he does, but we're not going to be talking about strategy today. We're not going to be talking about how he goes out and does the uh, western thing and gets the job done. We're going to be talking specifically about hunting gear. And me and him kind of bounce ideas and thoughts off of each other. We share uh, how we go about Um, acquiring hunting gear, um, what the decisions, you know, what decisions we make, uh, what we're looking for in hunting equipment, do's and don'ts and whatnot. So this is a a straight up hunting gear podcast and uh, that's the topic and we're doing it with uh, my new friend Andy May. And other than that, man, there's not too much to go over. I'll tell you, I got to do a quick commercial right now and that commercial is going to be... First one of the year, it's gonna be Exodus Trail Cameras. And I'll tell you this, I absolutely love their trail cameras. Now you can go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and check out all of the details about their cameras. But what I will say on this initial, my thoughts on this is when you turn them on, they work. And unlike a lot of other trail cameras that I've had in the past, You get into the third year, the fourth year of some of these trail cameras and they, they don't work like they should. And so far, every trail camera that I've used from Exodus has worked and has continued to work. And now I'm going on, you know, uh, three and four years with some of these trail cameras and they're still fresh out of the box new. Uh, that means they're working flawlessly. Now, don't get me wrong; I still make dumbass mistakes, and I go and forget to turn, uh, you know, turn the camera on, or I forget to put a SD card in, or whatever user error. But outside of user error, definitely one of the best trail cameras I ever, have ever used, and I really think you guys need to go check that out. So, uh, big. Also, uh, trail cameras are a big part of my actual hunting strategy so take that into consideration now if you have any time go visit exodusoutdoorgear.com and if you decide to purchase a trail camera enter the discount code nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will save twenty dollars on your trail camera purchase now i've got the commercial done i've got the intro done let's get into today's gear talk podcast with andy may all right, on the phone with me right now, Mr. Andy May. How you doing, man?
1: Pretty good, Dan. How are you? You know,
0: I can't complain. Uh, it's late season, and there's no snow in Iowa, and it's it seems like it's December is trending towards warmer, and I got a standing bean field that I really want to hunt, but I, I don't have any snow or cold temps to hunt it, so I'm, I'm hoping for about 10 inches of snow between now and the end of the season.
1: Yeah, same here, man. It's like, a, gosh, today I'm wearing a... I'm actually wearing like a real light, long sleeve shirt. The sun's out. There's no snow. Yep. Uh, yeah, it doesn't feel like your typical December, that's for sure. Absolutely.
0: So today... Uh, we 're not going to talk about deer hunting strategy at all. Um, a lot of people, especially when they they ask you, um, I guess a lot of the conversations probably uh, revolve around how did you kill that buck you know you know how do I go locate land you know out west or all these different things but one thing I was really interested in is how you go about picking the gear that you use right and Mm -hmm. we're gonna get we're gonna get into that but just really high level how's your season been so far in 2018
1: um it's been really good um it's been uh an awesome season in the fact that um i got to hunt like with a lot of my friends um which i really enjoy um i mean i like i like hunting solo too um but you know as i get older i i really come to like value those those hunts and those recoveries and those times spent, you know, outdoors with my buddies. Yeah. Um, I, for some reason, like I, I'd rather be on a hunt with a buddy in some poor hunting conditions than in, uh, you know, a great area by myself. I just, I just really enjoy that. I get, I get a lot of, uh, enjoyment out of that. And, And so I try to plan some hunts like that, you know, every year and, You know this year I I got to do that quite a bit so I got to go out west for an antelope slash mule deer hunt with three friends um and that was awesome Uh, I don't think you could can really have a bad hunt out west but that was unbelievable um and then you know got to go out to uh, Nebraska with our buddy Mark Kenyon um which was a a -a one-of-a-kind experience something I've never done a hunt like that um And then I was lots of, got to be on some of my best friends recoveries, you know, they shot a buck and go out there and I got to be with Mark when he recovered that giant in Michigan and, you know, just a lot of cool experiences. So from that standpoint, it's been awesome. And then from my own personal hunting, it's been really good too. I was able to shoot two good, uh, two good bucks out West. Um, I shot a real nice uh, – well, actually t- two good ones here in Michigan, and then I just shot my last buck a few weeks ago uh, in Ohio. Right, right. So it's been a good one. That's
0: awesome. And one thing I want to say, I hear I hear people shitting on Michigan a lot as far as, oh, dude, you know, there's only two-year-olds here or all this stuff. But then I, I, I know enough people and maybe it's just the concentration of the people that I know who are killing yeah. really hot, good quality deer but you know not yeah. necessarily just in Michigan but I, I feel that any state that's a good you know Iowa and maybe Illinois and Kansas or maybe um, maybe a different but Pennsylvania you know New York Michigan sure. uh, some of those types of states where there's higher populations I mean I think you guys are just fooling us. I think there's probably giant deer in Michigan, and you guys aren't telling the truth.
1: Yeah, we've been actually <laughs> trying to keep this a secret, <laughs> and it's been working. <laughs> um, no, I, I, uh, you know, I kind of agree with you um, in the fact that it seems, and I don't know if it has is more social media related. I think it's it's a, a little bit of that, but it's a little bit of just a trend of. Uh, probably a couple things. I think our hunter numbers are going down, which is not a good thing. Yeah. Um, but I also think, um, a lot of the younger hunters that are out there are, you know, starting to at least pass those year and a half year old bucks. Um, your typical guy around here will definitely shoot a two year old. Um, but that's a big improvement for Michigan. So we are getting some better, um, better quality deer. Um, it's still, I've hunted a lot of States it's still the toughest by far in my opinion just to find a, you know a mature or you know somewhat mature buck but they're here and if yeah. you're a good hunter and you grind it out and um, you're willing to kind of go the extra mile they're definitely here and you can find them it's just it takes a little a little bit more work than some of the other states I've hunted but um you know I think the guys that are committed and, and really work it all year can definitely get it done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just one of those things with how much work are you willing to put in to your scenario to come out with the, you know, the top percentage
1: of, of deer? Right. Yeah. It's no different. Like, um, you know, I know guys like to kind of downplay iowa or you know like, oh he's, he hunts in iowa and all that you know that kind of stuff but you know like in my opinion you know it's it's difficult to shoot the very very top end bucks in iowa too um yes. you know the pressure isn't as high you know the deer move a little more so it's it maybe not be quite as hard but um, those those top end bucks you know in iowa that might be a, you know a six-year-old 190 200 inch or in michigan it might be a five-year-old 140 or whatever right they're both challenging in their own ways and, and yep. you know every scenario is not created equal but you know i feel like if you're gonna you know if you're gonna complain about where you hunt then you know move somewhere where it's, where <laughs> Absolutely. it's better hunting you Absolutely. know or make the best of it where you're at yeah or start making trips
0: save your money and start making trips man
1: exactly that's the route i went so <laughs> that's right that's right
0: and yep. uh you know When it comes to deer hunting, right, if you're hardcore like we are and a lot of the followers of this podcast are, you know, with every breath you say strategy, it's almost like we also start talking about hunting gear and equipment too. And and now that this, mm-hmm. the season is coming to an end, you start to see more and more companies come out with their latest and greatest, you know, products or uh, maybe a a tweak on an old product. And you know, even the ATA shows coming up in early January that I'll be going to. And mm-hmm. I just want to um, talk today a little bit about how we choose the gear that we use. And completely 100% unbiased, you know, we don't, uh, you know, yes, I have sponsors. I don't know. Do you have any type of affiliations with any products or anything like that?
1: No, not no? at all. So I'm free to speak. Uh, I'll open it, honestly. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely.
0: And I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the exact same thing as well, regardless. Yep. But um, uh, I think the the first question that I want to ask you on a highest level possible is how do you choose what gear gets the final cut and comes with you into a tree stand or let's say like a Western trip?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, it kind of depends on, I guess, you know, the product we're talking about, but I, you know, I like to try things out, kind of test things against each other. Um, so I do tend to purchase quite a bit of things, uh, quite a bit of products, um, whether that's climbing sticks, whether it's a tree stand, whether it's bows, whether it's testing out arrows, whether, whether it's testing out different um, vein configurations. Um, I'm constantly testing gear against what I currently use. And if I can somehow improve what i'm using even if it's incrementally that's what i'm looking for so I'm, I'm i'm trying to grab like inches everywhere you know and if you do that in enough spots you can make a difference um and i, I kind of use that as my hunting strategy too i was talking about with mark you try to grab those little inches everywhere it doesn't feel like much when you're doing it even with gear you know uh, i don't really need you know, need that, you know, it's not that big a deal. That wouldn't make big, that big of an improvement. But if you do, you know, grab some inches everywhere, it can make a big impact on your success. So I'm constantly kind of testing things against each other, or it might not even be one that outperforms, but it just fits my style better or fits the hunt better, fits the situation. So, um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. We can dive into, I guess, more specific details.
0: So when it, you know, a lot of people out there, I mean, it's that season and I, I've noticed a gigantic influx of social media posts lately and it's all these people, right? They're, they're posting um, and I'll just use the Matthews bow for example, right? The Matthews, mm-hmm. new Matthews bow came out and mm-hmm. everybody now. Loves Matthews, and there's a ton of all these posts. You know, it's all marketing and stuff. But sure. when it comes to you and the end goal of going out and killing shit, is there does brand to you matter at all?
1: No, um, nope. And we'll just go. We'll just use a the example of a bow. Um, I'm not brand loyal at all. In fact. You know, in the last 10 years, I've shot Hoyt, I've shot Obsession, I've shot Matthews, um, I've had some Bowtechs. Um What I've found is that for my style and what I think helps me um, as far as a, a bow, I want something that is very smooth on the draw. Yep, that's that's important to me. Um, speed is not all that important. I have a 30 inch draw length, so I, I get. I get pretty good speed yeah. out of anything. Um, but that's never been a huge, uh, draw for me regardless. Um, because like from my testing, what I found is if I get too fast, I get more erratic, uh, broadhead flight. So I like to keep it kind of in a certain range where the flight seems a little more stable and repeatable for me more forgiving. Yeah. But, um, as far as a bow, I'm looking for something with a smooth draw. I'm looking for something that's quiet. So quiet on the shot. Um, I think a lot of guys kind of overlook that. Um, some bows are a little louder than others. Does it make a big difference? You know, if you have a a quiet bow compared to like, you know, one that's a fair bit amount louder in the tree stand. Like I said before, I grab inches. I'm trying to grab inches everywhere. I do think it makes a big difference. Um, so i'm also looking for a forgiving setup and i test that out i test it out real extensively um all off season so you know i i'll have i have my my bow my my mainstay that i've had the last few years that i feel very confident i feel like when that thing's in my hand i feel like a sniper i really do and so i will Buy bows. Usually i get them used. I'm not out purchasing new bows, but I'll, I'll get them off archery talk, try to get a good deal. I'll test them against each other. And then if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't wow me, I usually just sell it on to the next guy. You know, I enjoy doing that with my time as well. So I, you're not really, you know, you might be out 20, 30 bucks when it's all said and done due to shipping and that sort of thing. So not a big deal, but you know, I do some pretty extensive testing usually at 60 and 80 yards. Um, and I know what I can do with my current setup and I know, you know, what my average size groups are, that sort of thing. And then I just kinda, that's the, my process. I kind of test against the standard Yeah. and I've been doing that over the years. And if I can find something that's more forgiving, something that, um, you know, when I don't make the perfect shot, it still hits the middle. You know, and when the when the pin is on the center and that bow goes off, it hits right behind the pin. That's the type of bow I want. And I've had bows that don't do that for me. And it might be the cam system, it might be the grip, it might be, um, you know, maybe the, the let off is a little more demanding. It, it, could be, it could be the balance of the bow. It could be a number of things, but just finding something that fits me like a glove. Does that make sense? Yep, yes it does. Yeah, yeah. so go ahead. And I think that's one
0: thing with all gear, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're confident in what you're using, I feel that's half the battle, whether or not, you know, if you were a computer and you were, your, your job was to analyze one bow or one product versus another product, you know, yeah, they could be exactly the same, but if your confidence level is a little bit higher in product A versus product B, you're definitely going to want to use product A.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Confidence, confidence in your gear is is huge. And that's, and that's really, you know, what it comes down to it. Um, you know, when things come out, um, you know, you see things that kind of spark your interest. You're like, Oh, that looks good. Or that, you know, I think I want to try that, but I'm always kind of testing things against, you know, the standard, what I have been using and what I think is the best for me that I have been using. So gotcha. I've tweaked some things, you know, over the years. And, um, in fact, this year, uh, you know, I was able to try out quite a few new things and, you know, found some things I liked, some things that, you know, nothing that I really didn't like, just some things that I probably won't use. You know what I mean? So yeah. I I do go do a lot of like, you know, buying and selling and that sort of thing. And I, I get some just relative enjoyment out of that, too, like in my spare time. So, right. So staying on the subject of
0: bows, how many, -hmm. how many bows do you go out and shoot throughout a year to determine whether or not, uh, it's improved on your standard, so to speak?
1: Um, it just depends. Um, you know, there, there's been years where I've, you know, kind of went through two, three bows. That's with the one that I love with my, you know, with the one that I'm shooting, that's currently you know in my mind the best fit for me you know maybe one will come out or maybe it's a you know a bow that's a year or two old that like hey i wanted to, i've always wanted to try that one i like the specs on it people the reviews are good that people say it's quiet it's forgiving those are the ones that i might wait a year pick it up used and and give it a try um and test it out you know sometimes it might be you know two three bows uh this past year um I have been shooting the Halon 32 since that came out, Matthews. Right. Um it's a couple years old now. Um and then last year, um got a real good deal on a Triax. You Not know, pretty short bow for my draw length, but yeah. um I knew some people that were, you know, my draw length that were shooting it and, and weren't having issues. And um so that was kind of the bow that I tested against my my 32. And everything about the triax should not stand up to it as far as accuracy um, it's a shorter bow by four inches it's got an inch less brace height. Um, so it shouldn't be you know quite as forgiving it should be quicker and it was it had more speed um, the, the, the thing that was really shocking was just how much more quiet it was vibration free and, and quiet um, I mean substantially quiet like the definitely the quietest bow I've shot. So that was a big plus for me. Right. Um, but you know, with my testing at long range, um, the tracks was, was really an amazing little bow. Um, I was shooting really, really good groups even at a hundred yards with it. Yeah. But what I found was, you know, if I shot 10 with the, my, my Halon 32, you know just shot 10 good shots they all felt like you know good form good solid release and everything you know they were all you know in a in a real tight group with the triax i might shoot 10 and maybe seven out of the 10 were in that si- in that size group and then i might get a couple little flyers not bad shots certainly good enough to be hunting accurate you know especially i'm shooting at 100 yards right so a 30 yard shot they're they're fine but just the way my mind works you know it's like i i feel like i got a setup now that i can't miss with as long as i do my part um so so in you know, detail know,
0: real quick in details why do you think that when you compared those two bows with each other your long distance shots you said you had a couple flyers why do you think that was
1: well i think it's just the the there's a couple things that the triax has uh you know, that kind of leads to maybe a little slightly more unforgiving setup. The shorter axle the axle, it's a 28 inch bow. Yeah. Um, so that right there, you're going to lose a little bit of forgiveness. It's got a slightly shorter brace height. You lose a little bit of forgiveness there. Um, probably my draw length on that short platform. I, well, I know I was getting a little bit of knock pinch and you can tell, um, you know, sometimes I had to, I had to tie in some uh, knock sets above and below my knock that go in between the D loop. So in between the D loop and the the knock, I have these little serving called knock sets. Yep. Because if I didn't, the string angle was so severe, it actually pinched my knock, and your my arrow kind of lift off the rest a little bit, like mid draw. So right. I was just had a, I was just getting a little bit too much too much knock pinch. So I think all of those things. Together made it slightly uh, more unforgiving. Now, with that said, given the fact that it's a 28-inch bow, as quiet as it as quiet as it was, it was amazing. It really was. I mean, I was having no problem holding five-inch groups at 100 yards with it. So, I mean, that's to, for that little bow to be able to do that. That's saying something. At my draw length, I felt like the 32 just fit me a little better. And, um, you know the new ones came out this year and you know i'll be looking at them but i'm looking at some other ones too and you know i don't know I, I might just stick with what i have um but i enjoy archery i'm kind of an archery nut in general so i i enjoy uh tinkering and and trying to grasp that next level of accuracy you know yeah
0: absolutely and that's one thing that kind of i've learned uh in my progression from archery right just i fell into that trap of oh dude i gotta have a fast ass bow i gotta have a really fast bow and my draw length is 39 or excuse me 29 and a half and Mm -hmm. um just like you i don't really need to worry about speed because i'm gonna get it right oh yeah so what i found was that um Uh, Because the first bow that I had that I would consider a high-end bow was a Bowtech Tribute. I mean, it was way back in, like, this was 2006. And that bow just was completely different than anything I'd shot, right? And then I had that bow for a while. um, Then I jumped into Elite for a while, had a couple Elites. And then then last year, uh, 2017, I hunted with uh, one of those... uh, uh, Gearhead bows, right? Completely different, double risers, uh, it's like center point technology, just a really like unique looking bow, but completely dead in the hand. Awesome, like a real smooth draw. But the shorter axle to axle, I I really do think that I got a little knock pinch, um, Mm -hmm. you know, similar to what uh, you were talking about. Um, and then you know, with Prime coming on board as a partner, and this is where you know. You know, I can only give you guys can only believe me so much, I guess. But um, the one thing that I love about Prime is I feel that with the double cams, I think that adds so much stability to your draw Mm -hmm. and and your your you know when you're holding it right before you release, and there's so much more. It's so much more forgiving than anything else. That I I noticed that that compared with a heavier arrow setup man my i was just and and i have shitty form and i'm self-admitted on that but when when you add a really forgiving bow with heavier arrows your accuracy is just gonna i feel it just increases twofold
1: oh yeah i feel like there's uh there's definitely a a sweet spot in um you know arrow weight and arrow velocity um that gives you more forgiveness, specifically with a broadhead. Yep. Um, I've I found when I start getting over 300 feet per second, which isn't hard at my draw length, especially with today's bows. Yeah. That, um, you know, you throw a fixed blade on there, and it's a little harder to control. And I like to. Seems like. So, uh, what I I used to shoot, you know, kind of like low 400s. Um, arrow weight yeah and you know the the bows just kept getting faster and uh you know i shoot you know usually 70 pounds maxed out it's usually around 72 73 somewhere in there and and you know that's that's coming out of there pretty quick and i just noticed that especially with the fixed blade on there that you know it just it just seemed like a little more erratic it wasn't flying like a dart even when i was you know bear shaft tuned to perfection so i know the bow is tuned right right um but so i started like you said i started bumping up my arrow weight a little bit and i was getting much more stable flight especially with broadheads much more consistent um you know and then you can go on and on about the the benefits of a you know a heavier arrow too but just you know i i don't like erratic flight even just a little bit so i kind of i try to keep it for me it seems like you know Right in that 290-292 range of uh, velocity with my my arrow, which weighs right around 440. Um, you know, it, it just seems to be a really good setup for me. Um, it took me a while to get there, but yeah. I'm I'm shooting better than I ever have, and you know, I think it's a combination of you know the bow platform I'm mm-hmm. using, and then and then you know, fine tuning that arrow setup. But I completely agree with you. Right. The the other cool
0: thing that I've noticed uh, with a heavier arrow is, okay, so let's say you have a loud bow or even if your bow's quiet, you shoot a heavier arrow. I feel that that even, I I noticed that when I jumped up from a, a, I went from like a, a 420 grain arrow to this year, I bumped all the way up to about 490, 495, I think it was, somewhere in between. Yeah. I think it was actually 494 grains. Yeah. Um, and that was with a 100-grain hundred 100 broadhead, and um, and I th- that even made my bow, bow more quiet.
1: Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's, so, a, good, that's a good arrow weight. That's a heavy hitter there. Yeah. And <laughs> I
0: did it specifically for elk hunting right mm-hmm. with a with a fixed blade broadhead and I uh, wanted to make sure I had the power to get through, you know, whatever animal. And to be honest with you, for years I was shooting uh, that that lighter arrow and I I just it just would haul ass right through there and it almost got to the target before you could even see what it was doing, right? Cuz I spend yeah. time in the backyard um trying to, you know, that's where I shoot and if, if your arrow's moving so fast, it's to the target before you even have the ability to see, okay, do I have any, I guess, up or down, left or right movement on my tail end of my bow, which tells you that you have some erratic movement in, in your in your bow, right? Sure. Or in your yep. arrow. So once I added it, it slowed it slowed the arrow down, and I was starting to see, you know, not necessarily at 20 yards, but at 40, 50, 60 yards, I was starting to see a little bit more arch, in the arrow flight Which mm-hmm. means you know It's slowing it's it's not going as fast But at the same time I bumped it up And although it's not going As fast man I was Slamming at 60 70 yards I was going th- all the way Through my targets at that, yeah. a- at that Arrow weight and although it sucks it, It's it's pretty cool To know that if you hit An animal at that Distance with that arrow something's going to happen to it. It's, it's going to go through the bone.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, uh, accuracy and, uh, and penetration, um, you know, definitely, uh, accuracy, penetration, and a quiet setup. You mm-hmm. know, those are the things that I, I value the most, um, speed, you know, like you said, we're going to, we're going to have, we're going to get there with speed, especially at our draw lengths. And And to be honest with you, it's kind of, I think that's overrated a bit anyway. Um, a lot of the, more of the short draw guys, I think tend to, you know, they feel because they're drawing 27, 28 inches, they need, you know, need some more speed. And and I guess I get that. Maybe I would feel a little bit more like that too, but, um, yeah, the, 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 the heavier arrow definitely will quiet your bow down. Um, you know, deer, deer, especially like if you're in a wooded setting and it's calm, um, you know, one of those real quiet days, like deer hear that bow and they react and, uh, it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens enough. And I think a lot of guys hit high. A lot of guys miss over the deer and it's not necessarily a bad shot. It's the deer reacting to the noise, of the bow, but also the I, I noticed it, uh, this year, actually twice this year, um, deer reacting to the noise of the arrow. So what I've really tried to do is quiet my arrow down with certain fletching like blazer veins, really popular, probably the most popular. They're pretty noisy in flight. Yeah. You know, if you, uh, if you have a, you know, a buddy, you know, stand off to the side, safely off to the side and you, you know, you shoot a, an arrow with, with the high profile blazer veins, man, those things hiss. Yeah. So you get a bow going off, which sometimes it's enough i think to make the deer react but then you get you get that noise going off even if they don't react to the bow noise they turn and look they hear it and then they hear this gradually increasing sss, you know coming at them they're quick and you know if it's at 20 yards no they're probably not going to have enough time but if they're at 28 35 you know Yep. You start getting at those longer ranges, they got plenty of time because I shoot a pretty fast arrow, and it's happened to me. So, yeah. um, I switched to a lower profile vein, um, and this year I'm going to be tr- uh, testing out a four fletch because I hear that's even quieter. So, oh yeah, constantly tweaking, you know.
0: Yep, I'll tell you. Last year, I shot a four fletch arrow, and mm. I loved it. And shit got away from me this summer, and the arrow company that I tried to buy. <sighs> Uh, my arrows from—I uh, don't know if they went out of business or what the deal was—but they just weren't like they weren't there. So I ended up buying a different arrow and with and put three fletchings on it. And mm-hmm. dude, I could tell instantly with that first arrow that I shot with those those blazer veins, three fletch blazer veins, as opposed to a lower profile four fletch setup. I was it was night and day. I mean, I could yeah. I could hear it. Of course, the arrow was slower, too, so it was in the air for a longer period of time, so maybe that was part of it. But, um, you know, I, I really do think, and I I most certainly will be shooting a four-fledged arrow setup this year as well.
1: Yeah, I bought some of those. Uh, they're called Fusion uh, Q2. I think they're called Q2i 1.2 uh, 1.75 inch. I just bought a big batch of them and I'm going to be fletching those up with a four fletch. So they're a low profile. They won't have as much wind resistant. They should be quite a bit quieter. So other than that, I'm really happy with the arrow setup. I did have, uh, um, uh, my Michigan buck, my big, my, my real big Michigan buck I got this year. Um, when I wrote the st- I wrote the story of it, um, on a, a hunting forum that I go on and, and I was explaining, when I shot that deer, it was, it was a, it was a little bit longer shot. Something I felt very comfortable taking, uh, broadside relaxed deer, uh, you know, calm conditions, but I don't know what it was, but it was like the perfect scenario where when I shot, I could just, it was almost like slow motion. I heard the arrow go the whole way Yeah. and I didn't hear a hiss. You know, I didn't hear anything, uh, that you would normally think you would hear as the arrows flying through the air. But I heard a, I heard a whistle almost like a, and I was like, Whoa, like I, I just, I, I heard the arrow hit the deer. I knew I hit him. I didn't know where I hit him because he reacted. Right. But I, but it stuck in my mind. Like, man, that arrow was like whistled like that broadhead whistled. Yeah. And it's a broadhead that I had shot some animals with performed great. They shoot on the money right with my field points at hundred plus yards. So they're incredibly accurate, but that was unacceptable. Right. So, um, the deer ended up, the deer ended up reacting not to the bow. It was not to the bow. I'm, I'm confident of that. It was that whistling of the arrow. I heard it. I heard it the whole entire way. And, um, the deer kind of whirled and it hit him more like forward kind of at the base of the neck yeah um not where you want to hit a deer but he didn't go far at all so i got a little lucky there yeah um but i went to uh you know i, I went out and tried to replicate that and, and i couldn't really hear it and then i went back out um a few more times and i had a buddy that was out shooting with me listen and he got up you know i shot farther back. I got it like 60 and I had him get up, you know, 30, 40 yards, but way off to the side. And I was like, just listen, can you hear anything? And I shot and he said, man, that thing really whistles. Like, like not a hissing noise. Like if an arrow cutting through the wind, it was making a whistling noise. I was like, man. And I, th- I think it's just, uh, you know, maybe those small little, you know, holes, those little vented holes. I think sometimes they just, and certain broadheads maybe can create, you know, a little bit more noise. You know, there's definitely broadheads that are more silent in flight so right i had to ditch those and uh even though i was super confident in them i really do love them um but i had to ditch those because i just can't have that happen yeah
0: i remember having a problem like that once where i don't know if it was if the arrow was built and the insert wasn't put back into the arrow far enough to screw the broadhead in so when i when i was uh you know shooting my broadheads, I also had a whistling. But I realized that it was the gap between the broadhead uh ferrule or the uh yeah, that's right. And there was a like, like a really one sixteenth, two sixteenth inch gap between mm-hmm. the broadhead and the actual beginning of the arrow and that uh-huh. that is what was making the sound so I took the broadheads out and I put one of those um, some broadheads come with them there's like a little rubber stopper mm-hmm. and so I put a, a little rubber stopper in between the broadhead and the shaft of the arrow and it quieted them down okay so I don't huh. know maybe that maybe that was it but anyway it that worked for me um yeah
1: yeah, that's, uh, that's not good. So, no. yeah, a quiet bow, quiet arrow, quiet flight, um, you know, accurate. You know, those are the things I'm really striving for on, on the archery end of it, yeah. which I'm sure we all are. I think some of that stuff can get overlooked. You know, most yeah. shops just send you out the door with, you know, dozen arrows and those big blazers, the high-fletch, you know, high-profile fletching. And, yeah. you know, most guys, I guess, don't maybe... <sighs> I don't, I don't know if maybe I'm weird that I look into things that deeply, but you know, I think, I think there's guys out there that do. And, and yeah. a lot of people out there that don't right. and maybe don't even care, but.
0: So let's talk to real quick about, are you a fixed blade guy or are you a mechanical guy?
1: Yeah. that's one of, that's one of the things that I kind of, I kind of go back and forth to be honest yeah. with you. Um, I've been using, um, a broadhead called Ramcat. Yep. Um, and they're, I, they, they do have movable blades, but they're not a mechanical. Um, they're, they, they're, they're designed to, if in the event that you don't get a pass through, which on those, I just blow through everything I hit, but in the event that you don't get a pass through, they can kind of work themselves back out and the, the blades, fold back and they're sharp on the backside too. So it's almost like they're getting shot twice, Yeah, you know? So they're on the, the, they're cutting the whole time they're working their way out. And those things are really accurate. Um, I don't, I'm not in love with the design that you have to kind of retighten the blades after every practice shot, but they've performed really well. I've had really good penetration, really good, uh, uh, arrow flight. And right now those are kind of the ones that I'm testing against, you know? So now I'm, I'm, I'm getting broadheads here and there. And, you know, I got an, an elk hunt coming up next year. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking about all that stuff that broadhead will certainly, you know, fit the bill, but I've used mechanicals for years with good luck. I've never, that that was a mechanical, the one that whistled. Yeah. Um, so that was the first negative experience I've had with a mechanical. Um, Well, that's not true. Um, I had a real bad deflection off the rib cage once with a mechanical. I can't say for sure it wouldn't have happened with a different broadhead, but it was a a big wide two inch, um, mechanical and quartering away shot on a deer. And I put it, if you could go up and touch the deer where you'd want to put an arrow on a quartering away shot that's exactly where the arrow hit and it deflected completely sideways and never ended the body cavity or the chest cavity so completely hit a big mature buck so i mean i'm sure you've looked their ribs are incredibly thick and strong i mean they're not like little pencils right they're they're thick and they're solid so imagine imagine that rib cage perfectly broadside right there's about a I don't know inch and a half between each rib now slowly turn that rib cage quartering away those gaps between those ribs disappear right yep so now you got like a wall of ribs yep so you know you get a light arrow or you get a maybe a a broadhead that you know doesn't punch through things quite as good you know what I think happened was I hit that wall of ribs and instead of breaking the rib and going right into the chest cavity, it just glanced off it and completely stayed on the outside of the body. Cause I got a blood trail, but it was, uh, it it never, I could just tell by the angle, it actually never entered the chest cavity. So that, that was another poor example of a, or a poor performance of a, a mechanical, but I've certainly killed a boatload of deer with them, you know, and I like the way they fly. Yeah. I tell you so, what man. With you
0: saying that, you know that it's all about inches and trying to be able to cut, you know, cut little inches here and there to I'm surprised that the way you think you still use mechanical broadheads given the chance that with the moving parts there is uh maybe a small a small statistic but there is a chance that those you know, do not work like they're supposed to work.
1: Right. Well, here's my, here's my thinking on that. And this is what, what I struggle with a little bit more times than not. Um, if I put, I won't say all mechanicals, but the mechanicals that I've used and the mechanicals I've tested that fly really good. If I shoot a group long range with those, they're really, really tight. Yep. Okay. And I can get fixed blades to fly really well. Some better than others, some not so much, but on average, my accuracy with the mechanical is better yep. in a crosswind. It's better. Usually aero noise. It's a little quieter. Um, depends on the, on the design and all that. But so what I was gravitating towards maybe what i held a little bit higher value was the accuracy and the forgiveness of it um but to your point the mechanic or the the fixed blades definitely um they definitely take over when you are are having an advantage when you're talking about penetration and um you know failure mechanical failure so i kind of go back and forth with that plus you know i've shot through some shoulders, you know, some big mature buck shoulders with, uh, those ram casts and just blows right through. And, uh, but you know, on a broadside deer, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of area that you can hit that will kill a deer where if your arrow goes through there, you know, you might, you could be better suited with the mechanical and I'm the shoulder isn't one of them, but you know, you hit it back, hit it in the liver, you hit it, you know, God forbid, hit it in the, in the guts. Um, you know, a big, big cutting mechanical is going to do a bit more damage and he probably won't go as far, but they're both going to do the job. So I I think there's pluses and minuses with both. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things that I kind of go back and forth with, to be honest with you, but I've kind of settled in on those Ramcats for now. And, uh, they, they seem to kind of do everything well absolutely
0: so so here i am on the complete opposite side of that mm-hmm. and i'll tell you that i almost guarantee you if i was had a mechanical broadhead on my arrow this year i would have never recovered my buck oh yeah because i did take one of those hard quartering shots at this whitetail and i'm going to i'm going to put him I, i'm going to say i missed my mark maybe be two inches to three inches to the right of where, of where I optimal, you know, like the optimum shot placement. Right. So uh-huh. I, I hit him a little bit to the right. Now with that, I hit him in the hind quarter and that hind quarter then went through the guts and I, um, it went through like the bladder, the guts or the intestines, the guts, and it hit liver on the opposite side and exited out his brisket. And I feel that if I had a mechanical, I would, that that momentum would have greatly slowed down upon the deployment of that.
1: Yeah, no, I, yeah, it sounds like it. it sounds like, uh, you know, in that scenario that a fixed blade, saved you for sure yeah what uh what broadhead did you
0: it was a wasp boss four blade okay yep so four blades small somewhat of a smaller diameter um in the past i'd used uh, uh i think it was a four blade slick trick um, oh yeah those had some i think the, their blades are a little thinner but uh but i i don't know when i the deer that i ended up shooting with that with that one i mean it killed it dead but uh because that was a a broadside shot, but this one here with my Wasps, man, it just, not necessarily that it's the brand name Wasp, but the the fixed blade, I just, I don't know if I can ever talk myself into ever using a, like, a a mechanical broadhead again because of the past experience that I had this year and on hitting bone, a real, real dense bone uh you know, several years ago of like a 210 inch buck. Right. And yeah. not having losing that, that momentum going into the, the body cavity killed me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm, I'm the kind of guy who's like, if I can take the movement out of it and just have the arrow continue its path uninterrupted, I'm going to take it. Yeah. What,
1: uh, so I think, I think a lot of bow hunters have a tendency, um, you know, let's say you have a buck standing perfectly broadside at 20 yards. You go right up the back of the leg, aim right at the crease. Do you tend, if you don't hit right where you're aiming, do you tend to hit a little more forward or a little more back? Are you, do you tend to hit one or the other or is it kind of? No, not necessarily.
0: Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'd never, I always aim about four inches back from the crease. Right. Okay. So, I'm not ever going to hit heart, I'm never going to aim for the heart, I'm aiming to hit lungs, so that way if I miss forward, I still hit, or if I hit or miss to the left, I still hit lungs. Or Let's say the, the deer's walking from my right to my left, right? So mm-hmm. he's complete broadside, so if I miss, right, I'm going to hit liver uh, or I'm going to hit lungs, right? Because yeah. if, if I hit front shoulder or if I hit guts, that's an extreme miss right or left, or if I hit low, then I'm, you know, I'll probably still hit, I'll probably still hit lungs, but if I go high, I'll still be under the spine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, like I'm, uh, you know, I think a lot of guys on that broadside deer, you know, that perfectly broadside deer tend to like, like some guys tend to shy away from the shoulder. Yeah. It's like almost subconscious. So, you know, in that situation, they're more apt to hit back of the lungs, liver, maybe even the guts if they're too, you know, go too far. Yeah. You know, and that's in that type of scenario. You know, they might be better suited with a big cutting mechanical. But then yeah. I know other guys that are terrified to gut shoot deer, and they they aim like go right up the leg and aim, you know, basically right at the the top of the heart. Yeah. That brings the shoulder into play a little more. So. I'll tell you, you know, what I, though, I like i've i bet you in my
0: entire hunting career i've only had two or three complete broadside shots uh, and one of them was last year everything else has been a quartering quartering two or you know to me or away mostly away yeah just it's just in my setup like i i never i honestly never want a deer to walk in front of me completely broadside unless I just feel that the way my setups are, how my wind, where my wind's going, where the deer, I I expect him to be coming from. He's going to be quartering towards me until, Mm -hmm. or he's going to loop on a, a corner or something and he'll be away, but never like perfectly right in front of me. I don't know. I guess that's just how I set up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
0: All right. So we've talked a lot about bow, the bow, the arrow and whatnot. Now, the thing that keeps us out in the timber, right? Our gear, our clothing, um, boots, hats, you know, all that stuff, because you can have the greatest gear, but if you get cold or you start sweating balls too much, you're going to be uncomfortable and you're going to want to get out of the woods or you're going to yeah. go back to the truck or whatever. So when it comes to, and I think we just start with clothing, uh, where where does it start for you?
1: Um. Well... I definitely, uh, you know, let's talk about like your typical Midwest hunting tree stand, you know, kind of like what we do. Right. Um, you know, obviously I want something that's quiet. Um, you know, I don't like, I don't like loud clothes, even like fabric. That's like loud rubbing against each other. Yeah. I don't like that. I like, I I like really quiet stuff because, you know, it seems like a, a decent portion of the time I find myself you know, if I'm not, if I'm not in my stand, um, you know, I get into deer on the way, or I decide to hunt from the ground and, and do more of a, you know, kind of like a spot and stalk situation or ambush from the ground. And it's just like, you know, loud fabric can sometimes break your hunt, especially in one of those situations where I described earlier, where it's like dead calm, like deer just pick up on that stuff. So I I like stuff that's really quiet. Um, obviously, uh, you know, warmth in the cold you know where we live in Michigan and Iowa you want something that's warm keep you in the stand uh you know longer will allow you to to sit still longer you know because you aren't fidgeting around I know when I get cold I start fidgeting around and moving um this year uh I incorporated a, a puffy jacket into my system which was really cool um guys think about that more for like an out west thing and I did use it out west but I have this puffy jacket that you know basically squeezes up into nothing and I can throw it right in my pack about the size of a a softball and it was awesome because I I had um I got a lot of like suits you know I got like my early season suit and then I got like my early mid-season suit and I got my mid-season you know I got way too much crap right So I was able to actually sell off a bunch of my stuff this year because that puffy allowed me to hunt a a pretty wide range of, uh, conditions. So like I was wearing the, you know, kind of my, I guess my mid season suit, you know, 50, 50, degrees, you know, somewhere in there with one, you know, you know, one base layer. And then, uh, when it started getting a little cooler, I just threw that puffy on under that and I wore that same setup down to 15. Yeah. And I mean, I've never been able to do that, go from 15 to 50, basically wearing the same outer layer. So that I I really like that. I I was able to kind of get rid of some of my crap, you know? Um, and it just, I just found that real valuable, um, to kind of incorporate. Do you use anything like that?
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this real quick. Was it down or was it synthetic? This is a
1: synthetic one.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I use a down version of mm-hmm. a puffy jacket, but it's not, I mean, it's it's a down insulated vest, but it is not like puffy, right? Okay. Yep. However, I mean, cuz it's real thin again, it you can just crumple it down into nothing, and I wore it on my elk hunt. But I'll tell you this. I wear that as soon as late October hits, it is either on top of my mid layer, right? So I'll wear a base layer and then I'll wear a like uh, the Sitka Fanatic jacket or the Fanatic hoodie. Then yep. I'll put that on top. And then uh, because it's somewhat loud, I'll throw another uh, vest on top of it with, you know, so th- basically the only thing that I'm wearing on my uh, arms is the base layer and that uh, basically hoodie. And mm-hmm. my core will stay warm. Until I'm talking like down to 25, you know, 20 degrees, and then mm-hmm. I'll end up throwing on my shell on like my outer layer on top of that. But yeah, it blocks the wind. It it holds the heat and it's small. And the like if it had a one downfall, I would say that it is it's a little loud. So if I'm walking to my stand with it, it's either in my pack or it's on me with another little vest over top of it. Yeah,
1: Yeah. they're real valuable. Mine, uh, I think I did have a, um, I had a down, Under Armour down vest that my local, our our local uh, archery shop here had. And it was on clearance. It was like 40 bucks. It was regular, like 120. I was like, shoot, man, I'll pick this up and try it. It was down and it was a little noisier. Um, I liked it, but I ended up selling that. And the one I have is Synthetic. And the fabric on the outside is, is, it's not quiet as fleece, but it's pretty darn quiet. Yeah. Um, so I haven't had an issue with noise with it, but yeah, I, I really, I really like it. And I liked that. I was able to get kind of get rid of some of my other stuff because sometimes it's like (laughs) I had had too many choices, you know, I'm not like dedicated to any one, uh, brand. So I had kind (laughs) of a a mix match of stuff that suited my style, you know, um, In fact, um, the Sika, I owned the Sika fanatic, um, at one time and I loved it. Uh, I didn't love the price of it, but I loved it. Right. Um, and I loved the design of it. I liked how you had the little kangaroo pouch. Um, so, um, and, and this was the old style. Do you remember the old Sika style before they went changed to that kind of like fleecy, uh, outer version um they had a different fabric
0: i i'm not aware of the older i know the i know the color and the talk i don't think it was near of as, as an athletic fit either
1: yeah yeah it, it was i haven't tried the new one um but the, the fabric change the old one was a little louder yeah. like you would if you brushed up against uh bark or something it would make like kind of like a scratchy noise and i, I obviously i didn't like that but i think they answered that uh, issue with the new version, but I haven't had a chance to try that. But what I did do is I had uh, um, a company um, basically make, I, I designed my own suit, basically. Um, I told them what I wanted. I kind of drew it up and they made it for me. And um, it was kind of designed after the Fanatic jacket. Um, the pants are pretty standard, but I had them, you know, put pockets, you know, kind of where I wanted them. But I had them designed after that that kind of fanatic um, version because um, I really liked the style of it and the design. But the the fabric that this other company used um, was was much quieter and more durable than the original uh, uh, fanatic. Now the new one, I've seen it in stores, I've tried it on. It seems much much quieter and seems like really warm. But yeah. that's kind of what I did. I really liked the way Sika, I love the way they were thinking about functional, uh, you know, functionality, you know, like the pockets and the certain, you know, in real strategic spots, easy to get to, minimal movement, get your, keep your hands right in front of you um, in the kangaroo pouch. So I I really like that design and kind of use that as a a template sort of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing that I, like, another thing that I noticed, I guess, is some of these some of these garments whether it's Sitka or another company that have windstopper built into them right yep. and and I feel like you're trading if it has the windstopper then it's going to be a little bit louder piece of like it's going to be a little bit louder garment however there's a couple garments that I used on my elk hunt this year where it ended up like I was wearing my base layer I was wearing uh, uh, the Fanatic hoodie again, I think, yes. And then I was wearing this, this it was called the mountain jacket, and man, what I like about it, and, and this transferred over into the deer woods back in Iowa, is there's times where there's a little bit of wind, and the wind is causing you to get cold. But if you have the wind stopper, you don't necessarily have to add more layers. The wind yeah. stopper keeps you warm itself. Yeah. So I ended up wearing that most of October, uh even I think a couple of days into my uh uh into the my rutcation and until I had to start bringing out the heavy hitters and dude if some of this technology for garments is crazy. But like mm-hmm. you said, you get into this stuff and now you're starting to pay a, a ton of money for it. So so mm-hmm. next question is Obviously, price plays a plays a role in everything we do. How do how when it comes to functionality versus price, where do you give and where do you take?
1: Yeah, um, that's tough. Uh, you know, if it's something that I feel is kind of a game changer, um, I don't mind uh, saving up in paying for it. Or if I think it's an, an upgrade that will, you know, will help me out significantly in my hunting. What I'll do is I'll sell what I have. Let's just say I have, like, you know, let's just say I had this really, you know, a good bow hunting suit got me into the, you know, into the twenties. Um, but maybe it wasn't quite as athletic fit. Maybe it was a little stiff. Like when I draw, you know, maybe my, the bottom came up and, you know, different things that, you know, maybe weren't perfect. Then something comes out that is more perfect for you or your style. You know, that might be where I decide, okay, that's worth an upgrade. So I'll kind of, you know, sell off the other piece, use that to put towards this. Um, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty particular with, you know, spending my money on, uh, I don't need the best of the best, but I feel if, if I feel like it's a, a game changer for me, um then i'll usually try to find a way to make it happen um you know like a, you don't need a lone wolf tree stand um but it's certainly a game changer in my in my mind for a mobile hunter um you know you don't need sick of gear out west um but a lot of guys believe that's a game changer for them um you know so it just it just kind of depends it's kind of up to up to you but i definitely don't like blowing a crap ton of money on gear. Um, I try to spread it out over time. I'd rather spend my money on a tag to the next state or some gas money, but, yeah. um, <laughs> you Amen. know, but, uh, but, but yeah, if it, if it's something that I think, um, you know, can be, have an impact on my hunting in, in a good way, then, and I usually try to make it happen. Yeah.
0: And aside from the actual hunting gear and what I mean by that is the stuff to kill the animal, like the bow, the arrow, the gun, whatever. The clothing side of it, you'll probably, if you search hard long enough, you will find something that resembles, let's say, a sika or a kuyu or whatever the top end hunting gear is in the hiking, mountain climbing um, uh, arena that is going to be cheaper it may not have a camel pattern on it, but you can find a tone like a, a brown or a green that will would get you by in let's say like a, a tree especially in a tree stand scenario that where you're gonna be able to save money getting probably close to or exactly equal to what these higher end camo companies
1: have to offer. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, well, a perfect example was my Wyoming hunt out West, you know, it was pretty warm conditions. We wanted a, you know, a light pant, I guess for Sika, it'd be like your accent pant or for Kuyu, it'd be like your Truberon Triburon pant. Um, you know, for the person on the budget, you know, I, I did have, uh, you know, some sick uh upper wear that i was wearing um i had some kuyu also um but for my pant i bought these um they were called prana zions um and you know they're, they're it's basically feel the same i don't know if they're the same exact same material but i got them for uh 55 bucks and yep. you know i couldn't i couldn't have liked them anymore i mean they were really comfortable they were really light for that type of you know hunting in that heat um so, you know, you're right. Yeah. It, you don't have to go out and spend $1,500 on the whole system. You know, you can pick and choose if something looks like it's going to fit your style. If you're more on a budget, you know, much rather you get out there hunting, um, you know, in anything than, uh, you know, trying to feel like you have to get the top of the line stuff. Cause you definitely don't, you know, especially just to, to kill deer. There's guys out there you know slamming some hogs in some walmart yeah you know absolutely
0: absolutely uh now speaking of game changing type changes and i want to say i want to talk a couple products real quick that not necessarily i I, well i'm gonna say they changed the game because i used to be the guy who was cotton everything right like Mm -hmm. i I didn't (laughs) i didn't have a huge hunting budget um i would wear like four hooded sweatshirts and then a camo shell over top or, you know, a real like maybe maybe a synthetic T-shirt or, you know, maybe f- one pair of the, the heavy, quote unquote, wool socks when they're like 10 percent wool or whatever that you would find at Walmart. But yep. when I changed from that to maybe a lightweight and then that uh, maybe a, a, a synthetic type base layer to now a merino. Base layer, I'm telling you, with merino base layers and wool socks, and and whether it's a liner and then a heavy one over top of it, or you know just a liner, depending on, especially on my uh, my elk hunt this year, just a lighter weight uh, merino sock. the the ability to wick moisture away so that you do not get cold in your tree stand is one of the biggest things to staying out longer and being more comfortable than I've ever crossed in my path.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They, that Merino, um, is, is definitely, uh, is definitely worth the money. And there, there's lots of companies out there that, you know, you can, you can find some decent deals on, uh, some good Merino stuff. But, um, I use that, uh, I do use a, a, some synthetic in certain situations especially yeah. where I'm going to be sweating a lot and I need something to dry quickly like out west yep um but in my tree stand this year especially when the temperatures got a little colder i had I had merino against my skin it's just it's much warmer like you said it just regulates your heat better um that's one of those things that you know if, if you're thinking about you know a base layer system that's definitely something to look into that I think uh you know, could certainly be labeled a game changer for sure, especially for guys like I'm not actually a guy that struggles with being cold all that much. Like my buddies will have like four layers on and I'll have a base layer in my outer shell. Like, you know, I'm just I've always been that way. But um, almost all my friends have converted to like Merino type stuff. And uh, it, it, it definitely has helped them with that in that area. Yeah.
0: So. So there, that's kind of the clothing, the clothing aspect of it. I feel again, kind of going back to feet. Like once you lose your feet, whether they get wet or they get cold, uh, or maybe even to the point where you're too hot. I mean, I've been, I've been on a, I went on a Nebraska hunt one day, and I did a lot of walking, but I had like a really thick sock on, and my feet got hot to the point where I had to stop when I ate lunch and take my take my uh feet off because they were almost or take my feet off take my socks off because they were almost too hot like it yeah. got it got to the uncomfortable uh you know level and uh not a huge uh not a huge fan of that so i, I feel that whatever makes you comfortable is just a win
1: oh yeah for sure yep definitely I, I typically wear like my my rubber boots um for midwest hunting but there's times where like when i'm down on southern ohio public land where access is you know three quarters of a mile mile and a half or like when i was out in nebraska i had more of like a, uh, like a kind of like a waterproof but breathable hiker yeah type boot to for that same reason you know because i knew my feet were going to sweat and then i knew the temperatures were going to drop and they'd be freezing in in a rubber boot but yeah um so yeah
0: so we're getting to the the end here and i just gonna want to ask you uh kind of as another high level question, just kind of recapping. When it comes to you narrowing down, it doesn't necessarily need to be a bow or, or arrows or anything, anything for the hunting side of your life. What's the like again, what are the things that you really focus on and how do you weigh options and narrow down to what it is that you want to purchase? Well, you know,
1: my, I want, I want hunting experiences. I want to, you know, I'm a family man like you. Um, I have a job that doesn't allow me to, you know, get out a ton. Um, I want my, my, my highest priority is to have a lot of hunting experiences. So by far and large, that's where I prioritize my money. I want to be able to go on some trips and and go on some out of state hunts. But with that said, there's times where, you know, the focus goes to gear and improving your hunting experience and improving your effectiveness and that sort of thing. So I go back to saying, you know, if it's, if it's something that will, you know, impact your hunting positively and it's within your budget, go for it. You know, um, things that like at, at this level, um, I guess where I'm at now, it has to be a pretty significant game changer for me to to purchase because my system, I guess is, is pretty dialed in for the most part. I'm pretty happy with everything I have. Um, It's not all maybe top of the line and it might be something, you know, there might be something there that you don't like, but for me it works. And you might have something that I don't care for. So, you know, definitely I think a lot of guys can, you know, and maybe I was even like this at at some, you know, at some point, but I think a lot of people can can almost over fixate on gear. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of guys when they start to go, you know, look for out, out of state trips or out West, they almost over fixate on gear rather than preparing for the hunt on like the, the animal you're hunting or, um, scouting the area you're going to be at or looking at maps or figuring out more of a strategy or if you're going elk hunting, and working on your calling like you, i think guys can sometimes overthink the gear and oh i need this this 500 pack and i need this you know 400 climber you know you know all this stuff you know and i've had to kind of reel myself back sometimes because you know you can that gear could certainly help you but there's guys out there hunting with a lot less, with a lot less, you know, money involved that are killing big animals. You don't need it. Right. Um, get what's in with, if in your budget, if you think it's going to work well into your system or your style, save up for it, sell some stuff, get it. Um, you know, that's something I think is kind of personal for each hunter. Um, you know, that they, they have to kind of decide if that's going to going to fit into their style, but if it's gonna impact your hunting in a positive way, get you out there more, keep you more comfortable, sit longer, um, you know, help with mobility. It's within your budget, you know, go for it. And don't think you have to get all this stuff like, you know, right now, like, you know, get a piece here, this year, you know, save up some money and get get, get that climber next year or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Cause it, it, it's definitely expensive stuff, it can add up. And, uh, you know, sometimes your money's better spent on uh, getting that tag and some gas money going out of state amen man i agree 100 percent. well mr andy
0: may i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, chat gear with us today
1: all right man anytime that was uh that was uh, a little bit out of the norm for me but i, I enjoyed it And there you have it, another podcast
0: in the books. Huge shout out to Mr. Andy May for hopping on, chatting with us about gear. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to download and listen to this podcast. If you haven't already, please go check out social media, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, like and follow and share, all that stuff. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Exodus, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord Archery, Ozonics, and last but not least, Hunter Safety Systems. Guys, uh, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because if it wasn't for them, this uh, would not be happening. And if you also have some time, please go leave a review on iTunes or wherever you download the podcast. Let everybody know what you think. Five stars would be great. Other than that, happy New Year! Big things, you know. I don't. I'm not sitting here trying to give advice to anybody. But take life by the balls, because when it's over, it's over, and then you're going to be sitting someplace regretting what you didn't do. And uh, there's not enough time in life for regret. So if you got something you want to do, go do it. And uh, in the meantime, if you're going to be in a tree stand, please, for the love of God, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us all to please wear your damn safety harness. Happy New Year.